Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library, and today we're going to travel back in low country natural history to explore a very specific aspect of Charleston's famous public market, which is the oldest of its kind in the United States. 210 years ago this August, Charleston's principal food market in Market Street formally opened to the public. As of the first day of August, 1807, all of Charleston's scattered marketplaces were officially closed, and the new center market, as it was long called, became the daily gathering place for people buying and selling fruit, vegetables, meat, and even seafood. A decade ago, back in the summer of 2007, I presented a series of public lectures about this topic, and the Post and Courier published a series of articles drawing attention to the market's bicentennial anniversary. Now, time doesn't permit a full recital of the convoluted history of early market activity in our city. But a few weeks ago, I did mention a number of the most salient facts in a story about the genesis of Charleston's Vendue Range, so you can refer back to that if you want to. Today, rather than attempting to condense this vast history, I want to focus on one character that was once a familiar fixture in the center market, and whose presence in market lore is often misunderstood today. I'm talking about the black vulture a scavenging bird that appears in numerous historic descriptions of the Marcus and in countless old photographs of the site. In the days before modern refrigeration, and especially in the days before modern sanitation laws, these scavenging birds were daily visitors to the marketplace, where their presence was not only tolerated, but actually protected. Now, you won't find any vultures in Market Street today because the city expelled the birds in the early years of the 20th century. Since the urban exodus of these feathered scavengers a century ago, the story of market vultures has become part of the colorful lore of Charleston, complete with a few important inaccuracies. In honor of the 210th anniversary of the Center Market, let's travel back to the early days of Charleston and explore the facts surrounding the city's relationship with the venerable vulture. First, let's clear up the common misunderstanding about the identity of the bird in question. Many folks in Charleston refer to the former Market Street scavengers as turkey buzzards, and in fact, many writers in the 19th and even early 20th century used that name. The red-headed turkey buzzard, or more properly, the turkey vulture, is indeed a species found in South Carolina and elsewhere, but it's not the bird that once frequented our market. More commonly found in the low country of South Carolina is the black-headed black vulture a large scavenging bird that has been a common sight in urban Charleston since colonial times. They were once so common in the city that locals frequently referred to them in a half-joking manner as Charleston eagles. Black vultures are scavenging birds indigenous to the Low Country, so they witnessed the arrival of the first European settlers and enslaved Africans who arrived in South Carolina in the late 1600s. As Charleston grew from a village to a town to a city, vultures always lived on the fringes of the human settlement and feasted on our trash and leftovers. A German physician, Johann Schuff, 
visiting Charleston in the spring of 1784, made the following observation, quote, Nowhere are buzzards to be seen in such numbers as in and about the city of Charleston. Since they live only on carrion, no harm is done to them. They eat up what sloth has not removed out of the way, and so have a great part in maintaining cleanliness and keeping off unwholesome vapors from dead beasts and filth. Their sense of smell is keen, as is also their sight, hence nothing goes unremarked of them that may serve as food, and one sees them everywhere in the streets." There are those that believe that if a buzzard lights upon a house in which an ill man lies, it is a fatal sign, for they imagine the bird has wind of the corpse already. Dr. Schupf observed that vultures performed a sort of civic service by removing trash and were therefore tolerated, or at least not molested or discouraged by the human population. In the 18th century, however, the vultures weren't particularly associated with any of the marketplaces in urban Charleston. Before the city government consolidated the sale of vegetables, seafood, and meat in Market Street in 1807, market waste was mostly thrown from the wharves at the east end of Trad Street and the east end of Queen Street into the Cooper River. From the late 1730s to 1796, the city's official beef market was located away from the water, however, at the northeast corner of Meeting and Broad Streets. Here, butchers chopped up the carcasses of animals that had been slaughtered outside the city limits before being brought by wagons to the beef market. So what happened to their meat scraps? Did the butchers toss them to the vultures? Apparently not. In all of my extensive reading of early Charleston newspapers, I haven't come across any complaints or any accounts of vultures at the beef market or at any other marketplace in 18th century Charleston. Instead, the butchers of early Charleston brought their dogs to the market every day, and the butchers' dogs kept the market area free of unwanted meat scraps, or offal, as it was usually called. By the end of the 1790s, however, there were too many dogs in the market, and the dogs occasionally bit each other, and horses, and even humans. The spread of rabies was a serious concern at this time, so the job of resolving the situation fell to the commissioners of the market, a group of men appointed by city council to manage Charleston's public marketplaces. In 1799, the commissioners banished all dogs, even the butchers' helpers, from all of the city's marketplaces. Humans violating this order were subject to a fine of 20 shillings, and their dogs would be killed and, quote, thrown into the stream, so says the Charleston City Gazette of 19 April 1799. At the turn of the 19th century, all of the city's market activity was briefly concentrated in one crowded spot at the east end of Queen Street on the Cooper River waterfront. While the city worked to re-establish a market mall in Market Street, scraps from the Queen Street meat market were routinely thrown into the water where sharks and crabs devoured them. On the first day of August 1807, however, the city opened its new beef market in Market Street, a small distance from the water, and the butchers were again landlocked. The animals were still slaughtered outside of town, 
but the butcher's main business was chopping off bits of carcasses to fill customers' orders. Waste and leftovers were inevitable, but without the dogs to snap up the scraps and without the conveniences of modern garbage collection, how could the city keep the market clean? Enter the Black Vulture. Thanks to the descriptions published by several visitors to Charleston in the early 19th century, we know that vultures were once a common sight throughout the city. Englishman John Lambert, for example, stopped in Charleston in January of 1808 during his Travels Through Lower Canada and the United States of North America, which was published in London in 1810. Lambert reported seeing hundreds of turkey buzzards, really black vultures, hovering over the city. Most of the birds were busy picking apart animal carcasses on the northern fringes of the city limits, but some had also followed the scent of dead meat to the new center market in Market Street, which had just opened six months earlier. There, the vultures performed a public service by, quote, destroying the putrid substances, end quote, cast aside by the butchers. And for this reason, Lambert says, quote, they are not allowed to be killed, end quote. This statement is the earliest known reference to a story that has been repeated hundreds, perhaps thousands of times, by later writers and countless tour guides, which is this. In earlier times, the vultures of urban Charleston were protected by law. Anyone killing or molesting a vulture was subject to a hefty fine. In 1808, John Lambert considered this prohibition to be extremely improper, because it induced people to laziness and created an unhealthy atmosphere. But the city of Charleston considered it a practical solution. There's just one problem with this time-honored tale. It's simply not accurate. In the colonial era, the provincial government of South Carolina created a number of laws for the regulation of the capital town, Charleston. After the incorporation of the city in August of 1783, our city council took over the duties of managing the urban settlement on the peninsula. Both the provincial government and city council created laws defining market activities in Charleston, but there was never a law protecting the vultures. That said, however, there may have been a market regulation protecting the vultures, but not a law. The difference is more than just a matter of semantics. All of Charleston's 18th and 19th century market laws delegated the day-to-day -day management and operation of the markets to a group of appointed commissioners, the commissioners of the markets. By law, the commissioners of the markets were empowered to make regulations to control activities in the marketplaces. It's not unlike the relationship between U.S. Congress and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission today. Congress passes laws to empower the commission, and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission creates regulations, not laws, for the actual management of nuclear-related activities in our country. The same bureaucratic relationship applied to Charleston's early markets. So while there was never a law that specifically protected the vultures, it's likely that the city's commissioners of the markets established a regulation prohibiting people from injuring vultures. Today, there are no surviving records of Charleston's early market commissioners, 
But the wording of numerous newspaper notices published throughout the 19th century make it clear that the commissioners routinely passed and amended rules and regulations governing the daily activities in the city's marketplaces. The market commissioners didn't personally enforce these regulations, however. Instead, they hired and managed a small staff of salaried clerks to patrol the markets and to enforce the rules. On more than one occasion, the texts of 19th century newspaper notices tell us that the market clerks were responsible for making sure the approved market regulations were printed and posted inside the market for all to see. Not one of these printed lists of market regulations has survived, but we can imagine what they might have contained. The printed regulations likely included the market's official hours of operation, prohibitions against dogs and other pets, and other basic policy matters. And here's where one might have found a prohibition against disturbing the vultures. So while there's no archival evidence that the vultures were in fact protected by a regulation established by the commissioners of the markets, numerous visitors to 19th century Charleston commented on the existence of such a rule. In 1825, for example, Karl Bernhardt, the Duke of Saxe-Weimar-Eisenach, published an account of his Travels Through North America, which includes a description of Charleston's market. After describing the layout of the sheds in Market Street and the various goods for sale there, Bernhardt took notice of the ever-present vultures. Quote, Upon the roofs of the market houses sat a number of buzzards who were supported by the offals, or meat leftovers. It is a species of vulture, black with a naked head. Seen from a distance, they resemble turkeys, for which reason they are denominated turkey buzzards. They are not only suffered as very useful animals, but there is a fine of $5 for the killing of one of these birds. A pair of these creatures were so tame that they crept about in the meat market along the feet of the buyers. End quote. Similarly, an 1831 correspondent to the New England Magazine published a brief description of the quote unquote delicious city of Charleston, which included a mention of the scavenging birds. Quote, in the vicinity of the market are hundreds of large, sable, bald-headed birds bearing the respectable compound name of turkey buzzards and enjoying an exterior particularly grave and solemn. I noted one with a close resemblance to Judge Barleycorn. The buzzard was reconnoitering from the ridgepole, a shin bone, which he often turned his head to look at alternately with each eye, as I have often seen his honor turn first one ear and then the other to the words of the council. Nature, however, has furnished him with ears upon a bountiful scale. The buzzards are protected by law and, in requital, make themselves useful in the capacity of scavengers. Nothing escapes them. They scent their food afar off, and, to say truth, they may be found themselves at some distance in a similar manner. End quote. In case you didn't quite understand that last phrase, this 1831 correspondent was observing that the vultures in Market Street exuded an unpleasant odor themselves. Thirty years later, in December of 1861, a correspondent to the New York Herald echoed the northern fascination with our curious southern customs. Quote, 
In the earlier portions of the day, the market has a very busy appearance, the commodious street on either side being crowded with human beings, beasts, and birds. To a stranger, from the north particularly, the birds are not the least interesting, they being buzzards, the self-appointed scavengers of warm climates. They are nearly as large as turkeys and are tame, familiar, and grotesque to the last degree. They surround the market, particularly at closing in the afternoon, when everything not sold must be cleared out, hopping and skipping in the street and on the sidewalks in a manner peculiarly their own, or roosting on all the eaves and chimney tops when they have gorged themselves, or there is nothing more for them to eat. They are looked upon by the inhabitants as a necessary evil and are protected by law." End quote. In 1870, an agent of the South Carolina Agricultural Institute published an even more intimate description of the familiar bird. The anonymous narrator of a walking tour of urban Charleston offered the following advice to anyone venturing down Market Street. Quote, if he visits the market in the daytime, he will be sure to become acquainted with the Charleston eagle. This melancholy bird, vulgarly called a buzzard, is one of the peculiar institutions of our beloved metropolis that deserves a passing notice at our hands. The headquarters of the Eagle are in Market Street, in the neighborhood of the Butcher's Temple, and there, of a fine morning, he may be seen in all his glory, flying, flapping, moping, standing, fighting, stealing, walking, sailing, running. This Eagle is a solemn bird, dark of hue, gloomy in countenance, and remarkably taciturn. A voiceless bird that flies without a song and eats without a quack. So far, the eagle is respectable. Gravity is dignity. Silence is wisdom. But alas, for his respectability, the Charleston eagle is a glutton. The race to which he belongs are winged hyenas. They scent corpses from afar. But our bird has become, by habit and education, simply a glutton, gorging himself on refuse meat which is not yet putrid. He might prefer his food a little more gamey, if allowed to indulge the natural idiosyncrasies of his appetite. But he meets with much competition in the eating business, and he must swallow his food quickly or not at all. Where his respectability ends, however, his utility begins— and in this he resembles many an unfeathered biped who makes his living by doing the dirty work of life. Our eagle might flap his somber wings and shake his melancholy head with the unction of a parson and wandering brickbat, mischievous arrow, or idle ball. But fortunately for his comfort and his safety, he can eat dirt, for which quality he was promoted by our sage forefathers to the position of scavenger and presented with the freedom of the city and with a perpetual insurance on his life. He thus belongs to a privileged class that has not been abolished by the rump congress and, like other aristocrats, he sometimes puts on airs and abuses his franchise. He's been known to steal meat from a market basket and to make his frequent raids upon the butcher's stalls. And yet these trespasses were committed with impunity, the law protecting his life by a penalty of $5. When carried away by the passion of gluttony, his breaches of the peace are frequent, and in fact so notorious that they have been celebrated by an old poet 
in the following verses. A gallant sight it is to see the buzzards in their glory fall out about an old beef knee and fight till they are gory. The aforementioned eyewitness descriptions of Charleston's market and its scavenging vultures are both illuminating and entertaining, and there are more out there in various archival sources. But I don't want to belabor the main point of this conversation, which is this. Black vultures were an omnipresent part of life in urban Charleston from the earliest days of the town. The city, in fact, formed a special relationship with the birds in the early 19th century, shortly after the opening of the new Center Market in Market Street in August of 1807. Owing to the birds' natural attraction to animal flesh discarded by humans, vultures became the market's sanctioned and protected cleanup crew. It was an odd relationship, to be sure, but one that city government apparently tolerated and endorsed. As the years passed, however, and ideas about hygiene and public health evolved, attitudes about the scavenging birds began to change. By the 1880s, the relatively new science of bacteriology was gaining acceptance, and the familiar vultures were increasingly viewed as pests. Today I've given you a brief description of the rise of the vultures in the urban Charleston market. But the disappearance of the birds from Market Street is, in my opinion, an equally interesting tale. I'm out of time for this week, so please tune in to the Charleston Time Machine next week for the conclusion of the dramatic, pathetic, and intriguing story of the fall of Charleston's urban vultures. I hope you've enjoyed this journey into the past aboard the Charleston Time Machine. Kevin Crothers is the executive producer of this program for WYLA at the Charleston County Public Library. I'll be back on the air next week with more adventures in Lowcountry history. But if you'd like to join me in person for a live presentation, check out the library's calendar of events at ccpl.org or visit my blog, charlestontimemachine.org. Thanks for listening. This is Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.